It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. It is Locked on Jazz for the 18th of April, getting you ready for game number two of the Jazz and the Clippers. We'll look at back at game one film to be able to figure out the matchups for game two and what will be vital, all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. Thanks so much for tuning in. I've had the very, very L.A.-esque last 24 hours. I went to uh, the, the set of A Good Life and uh, watched them film. Yes, I got right next to Kristen Buell. I did. Right next to her, right thing as far away. Uh, I'd send you pictures, but I'm not allowed to social network anything. Uh, unless you personally. Scotty Gerard just needed one personally. Uh, yeah, right there. And then uh, went to the comedy store last night for open mic night and just got back from Soul Cycle. So that is, a, I think I might, I mean, I think just being in L.A. doing those things, I think my net worth is up at least, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars. Uh, just, oh, wait, it goes the other way in L.A.? Oh, okay. All right. Uh, anyway, I uh, hope you're great. And uh, everything's good. Getting ready for game two tonight, I believe. I believe we tip off at uh, 8 o'clock your time. 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock hour time. So a little, not extra half hour we usually get in L.A. is taken away by uh, TV tonight. So uh, make sure you tune in. Today's show is brought to you by two sponsors that have been really, really uh, fun for me. Uh, and what I mean by that is one of the cool things about doing this and getting sponsors is that you get to know the people and then or you get to know the product. So Blue Apron is a product I, frankly, never would have used. My wife is a, a fabulous cook. And does an incredible job in the house. And I would have never thought to like, oh, get a Blue Apron. And exact opposite. It's been so fun to have Blue Apron in the house. Because one, the kids help out a lot. And two, it just relieves the burden on her a little bit. So that's been a big, big win. I'll tell you more about Blue Apron coming up in a little bit. And then the other one uh, is our friend Blake Murdoch. And uh, gotten to know him a little bit. And the Murdoch family and got, have been able to drive a Hyundai. And find out that uh, there's really something quite, quite nice to the to the Hyundai and did not know that uh, prior. So those are those are two of our sponsors on today's uh, show. The promo code for Blue Apron is uh, LOCK, L-O-C-K-J-A-Z-Z. Uh, there's no E on the end of that. Just make sure it's caused some people some confusion and you get your first three meals for free on that. All right. Uh, let's get into it. Let's. We always start with our uh, pins across the world. Uh, send those in at dlock09 at gmail.com. Uh, dlock09 at gmail.com. Uh, it's been fun to get some recently, and I just got one from Osakis, Minnesota. It is from Paul. Thank you for your passion and insight you share with Jazz World. I've been a fan of the show since the early days of tip-off. When you were first experimenting with Google+, Plus. recently I found an old shared document that posted in Google Docs regarding the 2011 CBA and where the Jazz are. I appreciate the time and effort you give the Jazz fan base. You've helped us 
as jazz fans, be more knowledgeable about the game and our team. I grew up in Clearfield, Utah. Also remember, always remember being a jazz fan. I recall watching the games on K-Jazz as a kid and getting excited every time I heard, jazz basketball is coming up. you got to love it, baby. Oh, I've ne- I said I'd never do that. I recall being in fifth grade and playing with my friends as the big three, pretending to be Jeff Hornacek shooting the three ball from the corner. I always remember the day that Stockton hit the shot. I was in the basement of my house glued to the TV and remember being so superstitious about the game. Every time my brother came down the stairs, the Jazz would lose the lead or have something bad happen. I recall yelling at him, telling him to go upstairs as he was bad luck. Little did I know that he may have been the luckiest thing because as time expired, he happened to be in the room, and I remember after Stockton hit the shot, jumping up and down, and then running to him, giving him the biggest hug, and just celebrating the moment. It's so great. I now live in a small town in western Minnesota of, of 1,400. My family and I take every opportunity to see the Jazz play when they play the Timberwolves. My boys grow older. I'm now able to share the love of the Jazz with them and keep my family forever rooted as Jazz fans. I can continue to thank you for your podcast. It allows me to stay connected. Well, I kind of wonder if, thank you very much. I, I appreciate that uh, pin, Paul. Uh, I kind of wonder whether or not the Joe Johnson shot hits that uh, moment for a lot of us. Is that going to be? Is that going to be the moment where we all kind of recall and remember where we were at the time? Uh, I think that's. Uh, I mean, I, I Travis Henderson and I were talking yesterday on the bus, trying to figure out. You know, Travis been around for a long, long time, trying to figure out where that ranked in jazz history. It's not an easy answer at all because we don't know what's going to happen next. And in the moment, I think it always feels a bit bigger than it, uh, than it is. But I, I don't actually have, I don't have a good answer. I, 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 I mean, I, you, know, you try to run through, and I don't think we remember every big shot, but there have not been a lot of buzzer beaters in Jazz playoff history other than Stockton in this one. There have, you know, the injury story gets to the kind of the fight of the Denver series against with, when Memo goes out. Um, the guttiness parlays to that game five win in Seattle, the Western Conference Finals. Uh, we'd have to go back through. I mean, it's hard. I don't have great game recall memory. You really kind of almost need Tony Parks to go do this. And then it's really hard to go put us back into the moment of what was going on on that day uh, when it happened. And that's... That's what I think makes it the most difficult of all. All right, uh, let's get ready for game two of the. I don't know if anyone has any thoughts on that. You know, biggest game. You have the obviously the biggest game in Jazz history is the Stockton shot. The second biggest game in Jazz history is the Stockton to Malone pass. It's the sweep over the Lakers is hard to have one of those be an individual big game. I mean, that sequence to get to the finals. Um, you know, you have to go back and look at the finals and find some other wins. The win over the Lakers in the first play, when Eaton and under Frank Layden and the Jazz kind of make that first playoff run, I'll bet you, um, I'll bet you that if we kind of went back and looked at it, that would, and, and particularly if you had the day and age where things get run all the time, that would, that would probably be up there uh you know it was our first kind of moment of showing we had some value and um we were coming and we were for real and um and all that it'd be hard to figure out which game that is it's probably you know we the year before we had beat denver in the first round and so you pro 
you know, frankly, this is one we've all probably forgotten. But if you go back to that nine, that 84 playoffs and you go to game five, we blow them out 127-111. But game four was a down 2-1 in a five-game series was a win in Denver to force game five to then win that series and get our first ever playoff victory. So I think that's... Um, you know, that 83, if you go back to 83, 84, one of those has to get in there somewhere. There's a game five win in 85, and when they were five game series against Houston, that again got us out of the first round for the second straight time. I, 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 would, I would have to say that I think that one probably runs, that one kind of gets us the other way. If you remember, game four was kind of a tragic loss at home. I don't know why you'd remember, it was a long time ago. And we lost 96, 94 at home. And then had to go back to Houston to win that series. That was that was a pretty remarkable moment. That's with Frank uh, leading the way still as head coach. Uh, then we had two first-round exits in a row before the legendary 87-88 where we pushed the Lakers to game seven after beating the Blazers. And that win in that series when we game six beat them by 28 is probably one of the biggest wins in our franchise history, maybe even the game two win in L.A. of that series. So hard to go through and try to figure it out. It'd be kind of fun. Maybe it's a good exercise this summer to try to go back through and and see uh, what the answers are of who, uh, you know, who are the what are the greatest wins in French playoff wins in franchise history. It's hard to figure out regular season uh, wins uh, along the way. All right, let's let's get to the matchups. Um, so here's some of the notes I had from re-watching uh, the game the other night. Uh, Favors' activity level was just fabulous. And I tweeted out yesterday, Travis Henderson found the note, that in games in which, uh, games in which Derek Favors has had two days rest, or excuse me, no days rest, the Jazz were negative 45 in 12 games. In the 38 games with one or more days rest, the Jazz were plus 102 uh, in those 35, 38 games with favors. That's a pretty, that's a pretty uh, great sign for the series. But he was really active, particularly in the first half. A lot of different moves. The first play of the game, the very first play of the game after Gobert gets hurt. I, I, I apologize if I mentioned this yesterday already. I think I did. But the very first play of the game, J.J. Reddick's coming on the baseline screen that everyone knows he's coming off. And they they throw the entry pass into the post to DeAndre Jordan. And Favors steps out and knocks the ball pass a little bit and takes DeAndre Jordan two steps off his regular spot. He's just checked in, stunned that he's in the game. Forces Reddick to have a little bit larger route, wider route. Favors then takes a step off Jordan to alter Reddick's route another step. Boris Diaw steps in from the elbow to cut off his path, and Joe Ingles has enough time to recover and block the shot. That is the essence of just incredibly fake, uh, absolutely incredibly great team defense. Not fake, team defense. Uh, Ingles' toughness was evident early re-watching the game. Uh, The activity defensively was elite, from Shelvin Mack, Across the board, everyone is engaged, and if they're off by that at all tonight, which is the likelihood, the chance that the team that wins, uh, the team that plays, home teams lose game one of the playoffs, they win game two 80% of the time. 
Okay, so if game one, you win the playoff, uh, home teams win the playoff 73% of the time in game one. If they lose game one, they win game two 80% of the time. Uh, that's that's a pretty high number. Now, the 70% was a pretty high number, too. And obviously, there's just a tendency uh, to kind of believe that maybe, you know, you've established yourself, you've got the win you wanted on the road, you've got to make sure that you don't fall for uh, that complacency along the way. Um, So... um, Sorry, I'm editing something. To, I had to send that note to somebody, and I had forgotten. And so um, I'm editing it right now. There's a little live texting going on right now. Don't text and podcast at the same time. Since 2003, 73% of home teams won game one. Of home teams that won game one, 73% went on to win game two. But of those that lost game one, 83% went on to win game two. There we go. I got that text out. Sorry, had to get that to somebody. Uh, so that activity level's got to be there. The Clippers... Watching the Jazz offensively, the Clippers are switching everything defensively. Uh, And so it works early in the game because of the fact that they have five good, decent defenders on the floor. DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, and Bob Mute, J.J. Reddick's only okay, but they're able to hide him, and Chris Paul. So they have five good defenders on the floor. We don't. We have Boris and Joe Ingles that aren't really one-on-one players. We actually don't have great one-on-one players. So early in the game, when they switch all five spots, it actually works pretty well for them. It's when they go to the bench and suddenly have Raymond Felton in the game or they suddenly have Jamal Crawford in the game that it's not helping them. The Austin Rivers injury is bad. Dave Pash made a comment that made it sound like Austin Rivers may not come back in this series. Uh, but that stagnated our offense a good deal early when they're switching everything, and then we suddenly tried to match their switching. Uh, early in the game, re-watching the first quarter, we couldn't get to the ball. I mean, our our whole predicated system is guys running the ball, getting the dribble hand out. We couldn't get to the ball. Not just get open for a pass. We couldn't actually run to the ball. We were being held, stopped, grabbed, denied. Uh and then the Clippers made a nice adjustment. One thing that we do when teams switch us is George Hill will have the ball at the top, and instead of stagnating the offense, we like to throw a pass to the wing to be able to make the defense shift, then give it right back. So let's say Blake Griffin's out guarding George Hill on a, on a mismatch. George Hill will give the ball up to the wing and then back up, Get it back with a running, get the pass back, but with a running start at the defender. Furthermore, the defense has shifted over to Joe Ingles or Rodney Hood or whoever he threw the pass to. And now he's, a, he's attacking a shifting defense and on the run. The Clippers did a really nice job of after George Hill gave up the ball on that, coming out and denying the pass back to him. They're the first team to do that. That's a playoff adjustment that you just don't get in the regular season. And we'll see if the Jazz have a reaction. The the guys did the right thing, which is to clear out um, and try to make a backdoor cut, but we never hit that backdoor cut on that play. Uh, Some of our defense was just perfect. Uh, The Jeff Withy got a block of Blake. Blake wants to work the left block, okay, the numbers, I think I gave these yesterday, but the numbers on Blake is he, he is on the left block 64% of the time. If he's on the left block, he's going to go 
face you up and shoot 47%, or he's going to work to the middle. If he if he goes to the right, right shoulder, he's not very good. He's 4 of 20 on the right shoulder. This time he was on the right block, so he doesn't do it very often. He went back to the basket. He dropped step to the baseline, and weak side help came, knowing his tendency on the right block was Jeff Withy, who came up and blocked the shot. It was really impressive. Blake Griffin's really changed his game. 35% of his shots were at the rim. Um, was 41% in 13-14. Then it went to 33%. Then it went to 29% in 15-16. And this year it came back up to 35%. 29% of his shots this year were long twos. It was 23% four years ago. Then it went to 27 Then it went to 38 Then it went to 46% of his shots. Last year were long twos. Now it's down to 29%. But he's actually gotten better. He's shooting 44%. It's, he's not terrible at it. But, I mean, he had 68 dunks compared to 214 his rookie year. So he's a, he's a different player. One notice I, thing I noticed uh, on the Jazz defensively was two things. One is the Clippers were playing with great force early in the game. They did not want to play against a set defense. Uh, and the Jazz are going to have to keep. And the Jazz did a pretty good job of slowing them back down uh, and getting them into a set defense. And then, as I mentioned, Favors was just terrific. The next part of that was the Jazz did a really, really nice job of not switching very often. The Jazz were not caught in switches. Occasionally, Chris Paul would come to the top and snake the pick and roll underneath, and Deion, and the Jazz would have to switch that. It's the only answer, and that's a problem. We're gonna, we'll, we'll talk about that as an adjustment to look for it, just watching the first half, particularly what some of the adjustments and areas where I thought the Jazz had problems uh, were. Uh, another one the Jazz did brilliantly in Game 1 that would be vital to Game 2 is they didn't commit fouls on jump shooters. They had almost no fouls on jump shooters. Quinn, by the way, had I'm not a use I'm not one of those that always believes the timeout works. Quinn's timeouts did work. Quinn's timeouts were just fabulous uh the other night. And you know, I think you know, you're fortunate sometimes. Uh but it he was it was really um he was it was really he was really terrific uh in that regard. Uh here are the three things that I noticed that I thought uh, by the way, three fouls on J.J. Redick really changed that game. So keep that will not probably happen again, so keep an eye on that. Uh, here are the three things that I noticed that I thought were really that are going to be big adjustment points to this game uh, along the way, actually. But first, let me tell you about uh, Murdoch Hyundai and uh, Blake Murdoch and the, and the guys there. Really have gotten to know them. Uh, backstory on it, as I think I've told, is that Adam Chase of Chase Media uh, represents him, called me up and said, I've got a client that's interested and uh, doing some work with you, but, you know, and I said, all right, that's great, but I, I want to meet them. I want to know who they are, and I, I, you know. So I went down and met them. Uh, Adam impressively introduced every single one of them across the table, all, all the Murdochs, got them all right. I was very impressed. And then I got to spend some time with them and, and find out what their philosophy is and who they are and what they believe. And what really struck me is that they do feel as though they, the Murdoch family, are personally selling you a car and want to make sure that you have an experience where when you then speak of the Murdoch family, you speak well. That's that's what jumped out to me more than anything else in the time I was with them is the pride that they have in you doing business with the Murdochs. And 
then the next aspect was that I had to learn a little about about the Hyundai brand. And as I've said before, I didn't I didn't know a lot. Uh, and quite honestly, I, I said to them embarrassingly, like, this is not something that would be on my list of cars. And then they told me a story about Robbie Bosco, that Robbie Bosco was looking for, I think, a Lexus or something of the sort, and then went over to the Hyundai dealership and checked out the Santa Fe and all of a sudden was like, well, wait a sec. I can get all the same things and more in a longer warranty and more kind of, you know, extras for like twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 less. Like, really? Is that how that works? And uh, ended up driving out with a Hyundai. So I was like, all right, well, you know, that's interesting. Robbie's a... Obviously a great, upstanding person. And so I wonder, and next thing I knew, I was driving to Santa Fe and feeling the exact same uh, experience. Uh, I'm excited. I'm going to talk to them about possibly seeing if there's a way I can try out the, the Elantra or the Sonata or see some of the, the other cars on on their brand. They I believe they have the Genesis, which is really nice, uh, beautiful sedan. And um, maybe that maybe that stopped. I saw it the other day. It looked gorgeous. Um, but see, you know, and see what they've, what they've got out there because I have been just blown away by the Santa Fe and what a, a nice ride it is. Uh, really, honestly, the features is what has struck me. This, the room inside the uh, and then just the features to the point where one of the features is that if your car's in your pocket and your hands are full, you just stand by your trunk and it opens up. It'll beep three times and then all of a sudden it opens up on its own, which is at the end of a ski day when I'm carrying skis and poles and got all my stuff. It's pretty awesome. Like it just pops open. Love that. The 2017 Hyundai Santa Fe SE SUV is 28,735. That's that's an incredible. I'm just pulling it off the website. That's an incredible number for a car uh, this nice. I, I really have had my eyes open uh, by the Hyundai, and would suggest you uh, do the same and do it with the Murdochs. All right, here are the three things I think we're going to see from the Clippers. One, I think we're going to see a lot of high pick and roll uh, with Chris Paul snaking underneath. They were able to get the Jazz big switched. On to Chris Paul, which then put George Hill on to DeAndre Jordan. And the Jazz are going to have to figure out some way to counter that. Uh, it's just because if J.J. Reddick's on the same side as the as you have this um, of DeAndre Jordan rolling, then the weak side guy can't help. And so it becomes very difficult to get to DeAndre Jordan. So Chris Paul comes off the pick on the same side as J.J. Redick. He snakes back underneath, and Jordan snakes the other side. Now Jordan's rolling on J.J. Redick's side. Chris Paul's coming down that side, lobs it up to Jordan. We're going to see more of that. Uh, it worked well for the Clippers, and the Jazz are going to have to find a way to slow that down. Second one I thought the Clippers got a lot of good action on was the side pick and roll. So Chris Paul goes down to the corner. Blake Griffin sets the pick. Chris Paul's coming back to the middle. He's hitting a pocket pass to Blake Griffin, who's going to the basket. The post-up stuff for Blake wasn't very good. The Jazz brought doubles off the dribble. He didn't pass much. He was playing back to the basket. He's a better passer when he straightens up and faces up, and we didn't see a lot of that. So instead, it was Chris Paul. Sometimes they'll run it with Chris Paul going to the baseline. That wasn't as successful. Then he'll flip back around and come back to the middle off Blake. Um, I don't. I watched that a bunch of times. The only thing I could come up with that you can do a little bit is if your big's more aggressive, you could change Chris Paul's angles. But keep an eye uh, on whether or not the Jazz can do that. And the other one is that I think we're going to see Blake Griffin play with the ball in his hands much more. The Clippers ran Blake Griffin off a bunch of pick and rolls with the ball in his hands. It takes the ball out of Chris Paul's hand, and they were very successful uh, with those. So those are the three things. High pick and roll, Chris Paul purposely snaking. Low pick and roll, particularly on the left side of the floor with Chris Paul coming back to his right hand to the middle, pocket passing it to 
uh, Blake Griffin, he doesn't throw that same pass coming the other way. When he comes to the left hand coming in the middle, he does not throw that pass uh, as well. He's got to be coming to his right hand. And then Blake Griffin kind of mid-block catching, getting a pick on usually a four or five pick and roll. They sometimes run J.J. Redick into the middle of it so that you're almost picking off the big, uh, the the five man. It's it's a So Redick will throw the entry pass, run off Blake Griffin, set a pick on Derek Favors. DeAndre Jordan will set a pick for Blake Griffin, and then Griffin's rolling to the basket and no one there to guard it. Those, those are the three plays I think we're going to see much more from the L.A. Clippers uh, in this game, and we'll see how the Jazz are able to react to it. Uh, again, 83% of the home teams win game two uh, if they lose game one. Clippers have only lost game one once in the Chris Paul era at home. They won that series against the Warriors. We're a long way from done, guys. But it sure was great to win game one. We'll see if we can get game two. This has been Locked on Jazz. I guess I'll push Blue Apron's official sponsorship to tomorrow, but three free meals at L-O-C-K-J-A-Z-Z. That's L-O-C-K-J-A-Z-Z. This has been Locked on Jazz, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Lucas does a nice job with Locked on Clippers if you want a little extra. And I'll have Lee Jenkins on Locked on NBA coming up in a personality, kind of look at the biggest personalities of the playoffs. It's a fun conversation. That's all coming up on the Locked on Podcast Network. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now, wherever you get podcasts, and hit that subscribe button.